Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the spirit of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. <clears throat> Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. 
thank you, thank you, Michael, for reading that for us. Um, it's the reading no one wants to be put on the rotor for that one, isn't it? Because of all those place names. You did amazing, thank you. And if you would like to follow this for yourselves and double check what all of those place names were, there are Bibles under the end chair in each row. So if you're sitting on the end, do reach under, grab a few, pass them down the row. It's page 1093. So feel free to, to grab one and you can follow what I'm saying as we go. But Pentecost, the Holy Spirit. I wonder what your thoughts are on all that. In my experience, the Holy Spirit is one of those things that we kind of find it a bit hard to get our heads around sometimes. And I think that's true whether we've been coming to church for many, many years or whether we're just here for the first time this morning. I mean, we can kind of get on, get on okay with the idea of God the Father who created the world, Jesus the Son who came to earth, but the Holy Spirit... I often find that people have more questions than answers about the Holy Spirit. And I don't know what questions you've got, but here are just a few that I've heard that might resonate with you. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit, for goodness sake? Wasn't this just for the first disciples, just for then, back in the first century? Maybe we think it's a bit scary. Maybe we think... No, no thank you very much, this is not for me. Well, hang on to those questions. They're all good questions to have, they're, they're all valid, hang on to them, because I hope that we'll get at least some way towards answering at least some of them this morning. And if we don't, you're welcome to quiz me and Patrick some more on the way out, that's a promise, okay, you can hold us to that. But we're gonna start by looking back to see how both the Old Testament and Jesus himself promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. Then we're gonna dig a little bit deeper into what actually happened on that first day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit on those first disciples. And then we'll finish by thinking a little bit about God's invitation for us today to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what that looks like and why it matters. So first, the coming, the promise of the Spirit. One of the main Old Testament passages that prophesies the coming of the Holy Spirit is the one that Peter quotes at the end of our passage. I mean, he knows his Bible. He knows exactly where to go to talk about the Holy Spirit. And it's Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. The prophet Joel is speaking about the last days. And this is a term that the Bible uses to talk about the period that began with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and will finish when he comes again. It's kind of the messianic era, and we're still in that era now. And in these last days, Joel says, God will pour out his spirit on all people, irrespective of their age, no one is too old or too young, irrespective of gender, male and female, and they will all prophesy which means speaking out God's word to others. There's also, according to Joel, going to be signs and wonders, so miracles that show God is doing a new thing in this time as the Spirit is poured out. But the coming of the Spirit, as promised in the Old Testament, is more than just a display of amazing signs and wonders, miraculous though that is. I'm also going to read to you from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. And this is another Old Testament prophet who speaks in a different way 
about the coming of the Spirit. God, speaking through Ezekiel, says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So that prophecy from Ezekiel shows that the Holy Spirit is personal. He lives in our hearts and transforms us, helping us to obey God's commands and live in a way that honors God. So there's those two strands, a miraculous pouring out of the Holy Spirit on everyone accompanied by signs and wonders, and the personal receiving of the Holy Spirit in our hearts leading to transformation. That's what the Old Testament promises. And that sets the context for this expectation that God will act in a new way. And Jesus, in his own ministry, picked up on these promises. And he affirms the promise that God will pour out the Spirit after he has died and risen again. In John chapter 7, Jesus describes the Spirit as rivers of living water that will flow from the heart of everyone who believes in him. And Jesus teaches on the Holy Spirit and much more besides for three whole chapters of John's Gospel. If you want to read this later, it's John starting at chapter 14 through to chapter 16. It's a wonderful read. But in a nutshell, Jesus tells the disciples after he is gone, God will send the Spirit as a comforter, an advocate, a teacher who will remind them of Jesus' teaching and lead them into all truth. And the last one of these promises I'm going to read out, but at the beginning of the book of Acts, chapter, chapter one of Acts, just before Jesus ascends to heaven, he tells the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until God sends the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of these promises. So that's where we find our disciples at the beginning of this passage. They're gathered in Jerusalem and they are waiting. They knew the Old Testament prophecies. They'd heard what Jesus said. So how do you think they felt as they were waiting, not quite knowing what was going to happen, but just before the amazing events of this first Pentecost? I reckon there was a bit of a sense of expectation in the room. I wonder how many of you can remember what it felt like, or perhaps you've got children and grandchildren who remind you what it feels like to be a child on Christmas morning. When you just can't sleep, you're so excited for the gifts that you know are coming, that you're up at three o'clock in the morning waking up everyone else in the house as well, because that sense of excitement, that expectation, you know that something special is going to happen. And can we feel even a little bit of that among the first disciples as they were there on that first day of Pentecost? And how about us? Is there even a tiny bit of that same excitement and expectation as we invite the Holy Spirit to come among us here today. So let's turn our thoughts now to looking at that first Pentecost and explore what it might have looked and felt like to be in the room on that day. So the disciples are all gathered together. It's the Jewish festival of Pentecost, which is a little bit like a harvest festival, and it's when everyone gathers in Jerusalem from all around the place. So they're all there together. And the first thing they hear and see is a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Now, there's a Hebrew word, ruach, 
which can mean three things. It can mean breath, it can mean wind, and it can mean spirit. That same word, ruach. And even as I say it, you can kind of hear that in the word, can't you? It's a breathing out sense. And so in the disciples' mind, that word provided a link that we might not automatically have made for ourselves between the wind that they experienced in the room that day and the idea of the spirit, the breath of God. I wonder whether perhaps their minds might also have flitted back to a different bit of the book of Ezekiel where the prophet has a vision of a valley of dry bones and God speaks to the bones saying, I will make breath come into you and you will come to life. And that's a picture, the dry bones represent the people of God and God is saying how he will breathe his spirit into his people. Or they might have even remembered the risen Jesus meeting with them after his resurrection and breathing on them and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. The wind is the breath of God, the Spirit of God. Next, the disciples see tongues of fire coming to rest on each person. Again, fire in the Bible is a symbol of the presence of God. Just think of Moses meeting God at the burning bush. And so again, these tongues of fire on the head of each and every person in the room represent the coming of God in a new and special way. And then we're told the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues, enabled by the Spirit. So people were gathered in Jerusalem from all around the known world, each with different native languages. But every person heard the disciples praising God in their own language. The disciples were just regular, normal people, like Peter the fisherman, and they hadn't learned all of these languages. But this was a supernatural gift of the Spirit, so that everyone could hear the wonders of God in their own language. I'm going to come back to this idea about speaking in tongues a bit later, so if you've got questions about that, park that thought. But for now, just imagine what it must have felt like to be those first disciples. Feel the blowing of the wind on your face. See the tongue of fire resting on your head. Open your mouth and speak a language you've never learned. How would you feel? A bit overwhelmed? A bit freaked out? Maybe excited? Maybe in awe? Maybe filled with energy and power in a way that you've never before known? The disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit in the most amazing way, in fulfillment of the prophecies in the Old Testament and the promise of Jesus. But I wonder whether any of us are starting to wonder a little bit along the lines of, well, that was then, this is now. Let's turn to think about what it means for us to be filled with the Spirit today. And the first thing I want to say is that being filled with the Spirit is an invitation for everybody. It is not just for the first disciples or for a few sort of super special, extra spiritual Christians. No, it's for everybody who believes and trusts in Jesus. A little bit later on in Acts 2, after what Michael read to us, Peter preaches a sermon explaining what God has done through Jesus. And then he calls his hearers to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And that 
That promise rolls down the years, and that includes you and me. All Christians have the Holy Spirit, and yet we're encouraged to continue to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that sounds a bit of a contradiction, doesn't it? How does that one work? Well, I drive a petrol car. Yeah, okay, maybe it should be electric, but that's a conversation for another day. I drive a petrol car, and as I drive along, the level of petrol in the tank gradually drops. So I need to go to the petrol filling station and top up my car with petrol so I can keep going. If I don't go to the filling station, I might not be able to drive very far, but it, my car doesn't stop being a petrol car just because I haven't filled it up. But it does need to be topped up regularly. It's not a perfect illustration. There's lots of places where it falls down. But it, just making the point that we always have the Holy Spirit if we're Christians, but God longs for us to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit again and again and again. But why would we want to? What difference does the Spirit make in our lives anyway? Well, I'm going to mention five areas that the Spirit makes a difference to me. And honestly, I could have gone on all morning about this. I had to cut my list down to five. And I know that everybody here will have their own testimony of the difference the Spirit makes. We heard a little bit from Audrey earlier, didn't we? And you know, talk to one another afterwards. What difference does the Spirit make to you? But here are my five. First, the Spirit assures us of our identity as God's children. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If we've been a Christian for any length of time, we probably have had seasons where we've got doubts and questions. Does God really love me? Did Jesus really die for me? Am I really God's child? Or maybe it's times when life just gets a bit overwhelming and we lose sight of that truth. At those times, the spirit in our hearts can assure us and remind us that yes, we are the precious children of God. That is our identity. And maybe some of us need to hear that again this morning. God loves you. There's nothing that you can do to make him love you anymore and there's nothing that you can do to make him love you any less. You are his precious child. Second, the Spirit helps us to pray. Romans 8 verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Anyone else relate to that? That we all have days when we just don't know what to pray or how to pray and just can't find the words? At those times, we can simply be still in God's presence and let the Spirit in our hearts intercede for us and with us without needing to find the words. God is there. God knows. God hears. What an amazing privilege that is to have that direct connection in prayer with God through the Holy Spirit. Third, the Spirit helps us to share our faith. Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It can be hard, can't it, to talk to others about our faith, but the Spirit can give us confidence, can prompt us to take opportunities. 
can give us boldness to ask the one more question that can take a conversation to a deeper level. Fourth, the Spirit changes us. In Galatians 5, verse 22, we read that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What amazing qualities that the Holy Spirit promises to bring to birth in our lives as he gently transforms us from the inside out. Now, that is a journey of a lifetime. I'll hold my hand up and say I'm not there yet, and I'm sure a lot of you would have the same testimony, but it's a journey of transformation as God lives in our hearts through the Holy Spirit and brings that fruit to birth in us. Fifth and finally, the Spirit gives gifts. Now, I can only give a very brief overview of this today, but if you'd like to read more about the gifts of the Spirit, again, there's three chapters to go and read. 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 talks all about the gifts of the Spirit. But just a few headlines on this. There are different gifts, but the same Spirit. So different people are gifted in different ways, but it's the same Spirit that gives the gifts. There's no hierarchy, there's no competition. All are equally valuable. The gifts are given for the common good. This is not about personal glory or self-indulgence, but the gifts that we have are to serve God and to serve others. And there's different lists of gifts in different parts of the Bible. Some are really, really practical, like administration is a gift. We were hearing earlier about the need for somebody with that gift in the church office, weren't we? Or helping others is a gift. There's other gifts that are more about ministering to others, like the gift of wisdom. I know a lot of you have got the gift of wisdom. The gift of leadership. Or more supernatural gifts, like gifts of healing or gifts of speaking in tongues. That one often raises questions, doesn't it? The gift of speaking in tongues. And maybe it feels a bit remote and distant from your own experience. Or maybe for some of you, it is a gift that you have and you value. Different people have different views on whether it's a gift of speaking in different human languages that you've never learned, like the apostles did on the day of Pentecost, or whether it's a kind of supernatural prayer language that God gives. And for what it's worth, I don't think we have to choose. I think it could be both. I do speak in tongues personally, but for me, it's about a private form of prayer between myself and God. And if I'm praying for somebody, like somebody else is there with me, and I kind of run out of words and I'm not really sure what to pray, sometimes I might just slip into quietly praying in tongues under my breath, and then God would give me a a prayer in English or perhaps a picture or a Bible verse to share with them. The Bible says that if this gift is used publicly in church, it needs to go together with the gift of interpretation so that somebody might speak in tongues and somebody else might be able to interpret what's said. Otherwise, it's not really helpful for building one another up, which is the whole point of these spiritual gifts in the first place. But there's no hierarchy. There's no second-class Christians based on whether or not you have a particular gift. We all have different gifts, and they're all equally valuable. But we are encouraged to be bold and ask God to give us gifts of the Spirit. So if there's a particular gift that you long for, then why not ask someone else to join you in praying that God will bless you with that gift? So being filled with the Spirit is something for us all. And as God's Spirit lives in us, he assures us of our identity as God's children. He helps us to pray. 
He gives us boldness in sharing our faith. He grows the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And he gives us gifts to serve God and others. So do we want to ask God to fill us with his Spirit? Perhaps some of us are there. We're ready. We're like that child on Christmas morning. Bring it on. I'm ready. I'm excited about this. But perhaps some of us aren't quite sure. And there's a few barriers that for us get in the way. Maybe it's doubt. I don't think anything's going to happen if I ask God to fill me with the Spirit. Maybe we're afraid. I'm scared of what might happen if I ask God to fill me with his Spirit. Maybe it's inadequacy. I don't feel like this is for me. I'm not holy enough. I've not been a Christian for long enough. I think I've shared before that a couple of terms ago, I shared in leading an Alpha course here at church. And part of Alpha is an away day where we focus on the Holy Spirit. And we have the opportunity to pray individually for everybody in the room for God to fill them with the Holy Spirit. Now, Alpha is for people who are at the very, very earliest stages of exploring a faith journey or just putting their, their toe in the water. This is not for people who've been Christians for ages. And I am sure that in the room that day, there was a fair amount of all of those things, of doubt, of fear, of inadequacy. But each and every person dared to stand up, put their hands out and pray, come Holy Spirit. And I was blown away by how God showed up in response to that prayer, in just amazing, gentle, and powerful ways when we prayed. So I'm going to hand over to Patrick now, but I just encourage you, be bold.